Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Today's discussion is about managing painful joints and running. We're going to talk about the risk factors for developing painful joints and how you can prevent development and progression of painful joints. This condition can affect one in five women as they reach older age, so taking preventative action now is really worthwhile. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance and especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Welcome back. I'm Karen and I'm here as always with Aileen. And as always, we are going to start by sharing something personal with you about our nutrition or our running before we move on to discuss today's topic, which is focusing on managing painful joints and running. So Aileen, Today's question to you is, are painful joints something that you experience or are you concerned about personally? Hi, Karen. Um, yeah, it's um, it's something that I have noticed recently. There's definitely changes going on. Um, I would say there were more aches rather than pains um, and centering around one of my knees in particular. Uh, so I am a little bit on, on alert that maybe it could be the beginning of osteoarthritis um, and I'm aware that as I get older, osteoarthritis developing is a potential issue, um, you know, just for anybody of my age, really. Um, and I want to do anything I can to avoid deterioration of my joint health, because basically, I don't want to stop doing what I'm doing. You know, I want to be able to go for a run, I want to go up to hike up mountains. Uh, so that's really my motivation to to look after my joints. Um, so that I'm not in a painful situation. Um, what about you, Karen? Are you in a similar place to me? Yes, definitely, Aileen. I have to say that I'm always considering my my joints and general aches and pains, and I do seem to feel more of them as I get older. But like you say, it tends to be more aches than pains, which I think is is more positive. Um, but it tends to be my hips rather than my knees that I sometimes feel sort of like I say the aches, especially my right hip. And historically, I've I've had issues with my right hip, and and I know that I'm not good at 
um, stretching before and after exercising. And I think really, if I was consistent with it, then it would help manage the aches. Um, And I also think that foam rolling regularly would be beneficial. So interestingly, one of my intentions for 2022 is to be more consistent with my pre and my post exercise. Soft tissue as well as joint care, uh, because it's all kind of interlinked and, and, and really so that like a bit like you, Aileen, I can continue to enjoy my running for a long time to come because I don't want to have to give it up, um, too early. So just, just being consistent, I think, with the simple things that could make a big difference is, is where I am at at the moment. Oh, that sounds like a really good intention, Karen. And, uh, you know, it's, I think it's something that we could all do with. So, yeah, <laughs> we'll try, we'll try. Yeah, exactly, exactly. OK, so let's get started with today's topic, which we said is all about um, sort of caring for our joints and running. And I think for many ro- runners, um, noticing these pain joints and aches, as we've called them, is often a midlife concern, a bit like our saline. So typically what may be um, the underlying reasons for painful joints, but there are lots of different reasons. But for me, the first thing that comes to mind is osteoarthritis, which is what you mentioned, Aileen. And basically, osteoarthritis is the wear and tear condition that occurs when cartilage starts to break down over time. Now, osteoarthritis can affect any of our joints. So thinking about knees, hips, as we've talked about, but also ankles, feet, elbows, hands, any of the joints, really. But on saying that, you know, it it might not be osteoarthritis. There could be other reasons for the painful joints. So, for example, it could be a friction issue between muscles or tendons and bones. So, for example, uh, tendinopathy. And I think tendinopathy is something that a lot of runners um, have issues with. Or maybe it could be due to torn cartilage or inflammation. So, for example, thinking about hip pain, it, it could be that it's due to a bursitis, which is inflammation of the bursa, which is a small sac that lubricates the muscles and tendons um, that run around the hip joint. And actually, that was a potential um, diagnosis for me um, years and years gone past with my hip pain. They decided it was a tendinopathy in the end, but bursitis was something that was considered. Um, but otherwise, it could just be a muscle imbalance. So these are, are potential other reasons for painful joints. Would you, would you have anything to add there, Aileen? Well, just start something that's come to mind about the bursitis. I've, I've got a friend, actually, who has had an awful lot of pain in her hips. And uh, it was identified that she had an inflamed bursa. And the advice was stop crossing your legs and she was she was doing a lot of yoga and she was sitting cross-legged a lot and as soon as she stopped doing that it the pain went and it's really made a big difference to her so um you know I'm sure there may be other things that you could be doing that would help that situation but I thought it was just an interesting um insight that you know she was sort of gearing herself up for surgery and also or not being able to do things and then and she'd been having a lot of painkillers and now you know she's a lot better. Gosh, that so, is really, 
really interesting, Aileen, because, um, you know, I've just uncrossed my legs as you've said it, because uh, I think quite often we unconsciously just sit with our legs crossed, don't we? Whether it be a, a tension thing or a comfort thing, I, I don't know, but a lot of us sit with our legs crossed. So so just being mindful of that. And, and again, it's, it's, a, it's a simple change that could have a dramatic effect, a bit like me um, stretching before and after exercise. So that's really good advice. Thank Thank you, Ailey. Yeah, and I think, you know, just generally, I would say if anybody's experiencing pain consistently before, during or after a run, we'd really advise that you consult with a physio or a sports therapy specialist to get to the root of the problem. Don't make assumptions um, because there are lots of things that you can do that will make a difference. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really good advice, Aileen. It's okay saying that there are these simple steps that we could take, but it is it is about getting to the root cause of the problem. Um, and there must be something there that's causing it. So getting that rectified so that you can keep on running. Okay, so let's move on and start to talk about today's topic, which, like we said, will centre around a discussion on osteoarthritis. So what we will do, we'll look at what may be contributing to the development of osteoarthritis and who is at risk of developing it. Um, we'll also look at the question, will running increase the progression of osteoarthritis or make the symptoms worse? I think that's a really interesting question. And then we'll go on and give you some of our food plan tips and exercise considerations to help you. So Aileen, could I just ask you maybe to start by giving us an overview of osteoarthritis. Yeah, sure, Karen. So osteoarthritis is a chronic progressive joint disease and it leads to, leads, um, leads to pain and mobility disability, really. Um, so those are the, the things that people would notice. And often people think it's, a, you know, it's related to age um, and there's a little bit of a tendency of people to say, well, it's your age, so you, you what you expect. <laughs> but, you know, we, we don't agree with that, do we, Karen? Yeah. Um, so there, there are several risk factors that act together that contribute towards an interplay of different factors, so mechanical, cellular, cellular and biochemical factors, and they all lead to the development of osteoarthritis. And as you said, Karen, it is often described as a wear and tear, and, um, you know, wear and tear, I suppose, goes with, with ageing but with everything if you look after yourself you might not wear and tear as uh, severely as other people do um, so it, it occurs when the cartilage that cushions the end of, end of your bones in your joints gradually deteriorates as, as you said earlier um, and healthy cartilage is a firm sort of slippery tissue that really enables almost frictionless joint motion but when the cartilage wears down completely bone will rub on bone and that's the thing that leads to um, changes in the bone structure and deterioration of the connective tissue that hold the joint together and attach the muscle to the bone uh, and it can also cause inflammation of joint lining so there's quite a few different things going on there. Mm. Mm. And when you think of that bone on bone you can understand why it is so painful for some people. So Clearly, pain is a symptom, Aileen, but are there, what other typical signs and symptoms are there for osteoarthritis that people would want to be looking out for? Well, I think it's one of those things that there's a spectrum, really. So there's varying degrees of pain, stiffness, and 
functional changes. So those those would be the symptoms. And by functional changes, I mean that perhaps there are tasks or, or activities that are impaired, um, or that the person with osteoarthritis is unable to perform. Um, so I mean, just a simple little example I've noticed in this particular left knee that is giving me a bit of jip at the moment is sometimes I notice when I'm walking downstairs it sort of jars and and I, I did sort of pull myself up recently because I found I was in somewhere where normally I would have walked down a flight of stairs and I found the ramp and walked down it can you believe that I was really embarrassed by myself it was just in my head but I was like Aileen why have you just done that and I think people do that subconsciously without realizing and then before they know it they're not walking downstairs and they, you know and then that causes other problems so mm-hmm. I think that you know, they might just notice that they're not doing things that they used to be able to do or they're avoiding things. Um, and But it's a very individualized condition and everyone will experience it in, in different ways. Uh, there are some people that have very severe um, conditions and that could be very debilitating or disabling. Whereas the milder cases like you know me um although I, I haven't got a diagnosis of osteoarthritis it's just my assumption um that, that a little bit uncomfortable and possibly less painful than than other people so yeah I think it's different for everybody in, in a nutshell yeah absolutely and and you were saying you know everything is is very individual very personalized so so what would you say are the principal risk factors for developing osteoarthritis well, the obvious ones are age um, and genetics um, and, and also being female. Um, women develop osteoarthritis more than men. And there's evidence that there, there are quite a lot of other risk factors. So things like obesity, uh, metabolic conditions. So the metabolic conditions tend to be things like cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, high cholesterol. Uh, and also a condition that we've mentioned in, in other episodes, um, something called sarcopenic obesity. And that's where the body composition is high fat with low skeletal muscle. Uh, and again, that tends to be something that develops from menopause through to older age. Um, so that the threat amongst all of these different risk factors, uh, particularly the, the ones that I mentioned that are more lifestyle related, is inflammation and inflammation contributes to the development of osteoarthritis and I'm not sure that people will have made those connections you know you just tend to think it's wear and tear it's me getting older it's overuse you don't think about what's going on metabolically that could be driving um, you know the changes in tissue that's causing this issue um, and so a diet a poor diet can also be a risk factor so if you're eating a diet that's uh, low in fiber, high in sugar and saturated fats. They also promote low-grade chronic inflammation um, and they'll also promote obesity and metabolic syndrome and all of those things together may in turn influence the development of osteoarthritis. So um, I think that's really interesting because we, as we know, a lot of these factors are modifiable and we can make a difference. Exactly. I was just about to say that, Aileen, because there are quite a lot of risk factors there, but a lot of them are modifiable. So by changing our lifestyles, we can reduce that risk. Now, you were saying that um, women develop um, osteoarthritis more than men. But I'm just thinking, what's the prevalence of osteoarthritis overall in the population? 
do you know? Well, yeah, it's it's high. It's really high. Um, So apparently it's one of the most common musculoskeletal diseases um, that is known in in the world. And it's rising, um, uh, particularly since the mid 20th century, partly because we're living into older age. You know, uh, you know, the early parts of the 20th century, people probably passed away at a younger age, maybe in the 60s rather than now. You know, we're probably 80s probably for most people um and also there's there's a high prevalence of obesity and as we've just mentioned obesity has been a a contributor to the development of osteoarthritis Um, hip and knee osteoarthritis was recently ranked as the 11th highest contributor to global disability and that was a study published in 2010 so that's you know it's a lot of people and it's a lot of people that are having their lives impaired by it and then a more recent um statement was made in 2016 by the world health organization and this is where they identified the the difference between men and women so uh, they estimate globally that 18 percent of women and 9.6 percent of men over the age of 60 have symptomatic osteoarthritis. So that's almost like one in five women, one in 10 men. Mm -hmm. And they say a quarter of these individuals would be unable to perform routine daily activities. So um, that's, you know, quite a high uh, percentage, I think. And, And they also made a projection that by 2050, um, they anticipate um, around 130 million people uh, will suffer with osteoarthritis globally. So it does affect a lot of people. And, it does. Um, They're quite sobering statistics, aren't they? They are. And you can understand with those kind of statistics why maybe people think it's inevitable. Yeah. Um, you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, But I don't think it should be inevitable. Obviously. Yeah, I would agree. So I'm um, thinking about, um, you know, us as runners, Karen, do you know if there's a prevalence of osteoarthritis in endurance runners? Well, I think that really what we could expect is that the global trends that you've mentioned are going to be replicated in the running community. There's no doubt about that. However, it's possible and credible, I think, to assume that healthy runners may not have all the risk factors that you've um, you've mentioned, Aileen. So in particular, the modifiable risk factors that you've mentioned related to inflammation. So, for example, the obesity. Now, that that is, you know, with the assumption that healthy runners have a healthy body composition and also follow a healthy food plan. So in that respect, then potentially uh, less uh, runners, especially endurance runners, well, all runners really, are going to um, be less at risk. Also, I think it's good to remember that running strengthens bone and muscle. And it's thought that running could do the same for cartilage, so helping with the cushioning of the joints. Um, And also strong muscles built by running and strength training, actually, uh, an accumulation of both, will support the joints so really runners if they're doing that combination may be less vulnerable to injury and therefore less vulnerable to the development of osteoarthritis would be my um, kind of take on that question Aileen. 
Yeah, I think it's a really good point you make, Karen, about being a healthy runner. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, I'm not alone. I think you will have noticed fellow runners at group events, such, and there's such a broad spectrum of people running. And some might not be following a healthy lifestyle, even though they appear to be strong and accomplished runners. And therefore, you know, they might be at a risk of osteoarthritis due to their diet and lifestyle outside of running. Yeah, exactly, Aileen. Yeah, that is so true. You know, people can look healthy from the outside, but not so healthy on the inside. Um, and again, that's going to be linked to their, like you say, their diet and their lifestyle outside of their running. So so really to round up um, what we've discussed so far about osteoarthritis, it is a chronic progressive joint disease, which is influenced, like we've spoken about, many environmental factors, including diet, body composition, different metabolic health conditions, as well as that general wear and tear due to everyday living, as well as potentially sport. So let's now go on and consider will running increase the progression of osteoarthritis or make the symptoms worse? And I think this is a really uh, interesting question. So Aileen, is there a potential for running to make um, osteoarthritis uh, worse? Will, Will running increase that progression of osteoarthritis or is it more about the symptoms? Um, and if you do have osteoarthritis, should a, a runner consider stop running? So many questions. Sorry. Like, no, there, there are. They're all very, um, you know, one follows on the other, don't they? Um, yeah. Well, there's, there's lots of studies uh, looking at various different aspects of osteoarthritis. It was the, the big subject when I was looking at it, to be honest, Karen. And I sort of was like, I could have written, I could have sort of, well, I could probably do on it. I could do a series of episodes on osteoarthritis. It was quite interesting. Um, but it was a couple of studies that um, caught my interest. And one of them um, was a 2019 paper, which was published in the BMJ Open Sports and Exercise Medicine. And their, their, their post question, can marathon running improve knee damage of middle-aged adults? And this was a prospective cohort study. And, and that's a, a research study that follows a group of individuals over a period of time who are alike in many ways, but maybe differ in, this, in certain characteristics. And their objective was to evaluate the short-term impact of long-distance running on knee joints using MRI scans. So mm-hmm. that was the, the, the premise of, of their research. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting question that they ask, because often midlife people are concerned about increasing their running distances just in case they are damaging their joints. So a really good question. So what did it go on to say, Aileen? Yeah, well, um, it is a common concern for runners and it's a common concern for non-runners. My non-running friends will always say to me, running damages your knees <laughs> and that's why they don't do it. But yes sure about that so um yeah this was a small study the study um included 82 healthy adults who were participating in their first marathon and so what happened was they underwent mri scans of both knees six months before um and half a month after the marathon and out of that 82 uh, 71 completed a four month long standardized training program and they also did the marathon race and um there was 11 uh, people that dropped out uh, during training and, and didn't run the marathon. But the, what the study found was that 
pre-marathon and pre-training MRIs showed signs of damage to to the knees um, and that was without them experiencing symptoms Um, and so there was damage to several knee structures in the majority of the 82 middle-aged volunteers and I I sort of imagine that most of the participants might not even know that there was any existing damage Um, why why would you if you've not got any symptoms Um, but I guess by midlife, there's going to be some damage and deterioration, the sort of wear and tear that we talked about. And that might be typical in that age group, even without symptoms or, or pain. Mm. So that was um, what they did. And then after the, the marathon, um, there was um, more MRI investigations. And, and that showed that there was improvements in part of the knee structure, but also some negative impacts too. So following um, the marathon training, um, the study noted that there was improvement to damage subchondral bone of the tibial and femoral condyles. So this is is really important because that um, part of the structure is related to the health of the main weight-bearing compartment of the knee. So what they were saying there is actually the damage that they saw at the beginning actually got a bit, you know, improved and generated to some degree. I don't know how much, but it didn't get worse. Um, but it also, the study noticed that, um, you know, this is a long word, the patella femoral compartment of the knee was the region most injured by marathon running. And that's the front of the knee uh, behind the kneecap and the thigh bone. Um, so that was just sort of an interesting um, observation. Uh, they also noted that marathon running did not result in the progression of meniscal te- uh, tears, um, if that's the way of pronouncing it, and that their presence didn't affect performance. So the meniscus tear is a common injury. Um, I've never had it myself, thankfully, but I've heard mm-hmm. it before. Um, and that their um, the menisci are two crescent-shaped pads of thick, rubbery, shock-absorbing cartilage in your knee. So what they were saying there, that the people that had them present when they checked their MRI, it didn't um, get worse during the marathon training. As an aside, they also noticed that, uh, in general, the BMI scores um, changed uh, during the marathon period, so reduced during the marathon period. and they were sort of, I can't remember exactly, but I remember thinking most of the people started off with a BMI of about 28 or 29. So they were sort of not, they were bordering on the, you know, just on the edge of being overweight. Mm. And they anyway, reduced during that marathon training. So that's positive because, as we know, obesity is a, a risk factor for developing osteoarthritis. So, so yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting uh, observations um it is i think it's it's really interesting and also encouraging information alien you know when you're thinking about like you were saying midlife friends who don't run and they use their joints as an excuse not to run this is saying actually get out there because if there are any symptoms that you're unaware of just introducing some running could support that mm-hmm. um, and i noticed that with that particular study you've just been speaking about alien it also pointed out that during training for a marathon a run- runner should 
really include injury prevention exercises that target those areas of the knee that you were speaking about, which are more susceptible to damage, especially that patellofemoral joint um, should be considered, again, just to help diminish the risk of anything occurring. And um, and another study, which may encourage a runner with osteoarthritis to keep running, was published in 2018. Now, the title of that one was Running Does Not Increase Symptoms or Structural Progression in People with Knee Osteoarthritis. Now, this was data from... um, the osteoarthritis initiative study. So this was a a nested study, which means it was within a larger study. And in this case, it was the um, osteoarthritis initiative. So that was a huge study. And then they did another um, study within taking data from that study. Now, this was looking at the development of osteoarthritis across a group of people of, over 50 years old, already with osteoarthritis in at least one knee, and they were studying them over a 10-year pe- period. Now, within the study, they identified people who reported that their activities included regular recreational running as one of the top three activities. And they monitored the health of their knees throughout the period of the studies, which, uh, like I say, was for that 10 year period. Now, Aileen, I've given an outline of that study. Could you tell us a bit more about what the study was telling us? Yeah, well, again, it was an interesting one. So in this study, they uh, defined running as self-selected running. So the participants weren't directed in how often they ran or for what duration or mileage. Um, And what the study did was assess knee radiographs and knee pain assessment um, over the period. And and among um, the, the individuals over that were over 50, as we said, with the knee osteoarthritis, running was found not to be associated with worsening knee pain or any structural progression, which was monitored radiographically. So runners um, had an improvement in knee pain compared to non-runners, suggesting that there might be a benefit to running from a knee health perspective, which is what we were saying earlier, really. and, but, and they had some thoughts about why this might be the case. So they were saying that perhaps running results in greater muscle strength, which is what we, again, we were suggesting earlier. And that may lessen the impact felt by the knee from the ground reaction force that occurs in running. Um, and also that the pain reduction in physically active individuals might be due to, due to the effect of muscle stimulation um, independent of muscle strength, and, and they link that to a concept of an analgesic effect of electrical stimulation that they've noticed in chronic pain syndrome. So they think that doing the exercise itself might be helping to dumb down the pain, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also they they commented that, um, again, I can't read, I'm not, not very good at pronouncing these things. Proprio reception. Yeah, could be better amongst runners compared to non-runners. And and that's an idea that uh, runners might be able to cope better with the mechanical stress on the knee when running, walking. And and I suppose that that's, you know, why it's good as a runner to get your gait measured and have the right kind of shoes, because that's going to make a difference to um, your form and also your um, 
your posture and, and all of that. Um, and another sort of assumption was that because the participants were self-selecting running, they did so when feeling fit and healthy. So they weren't running when feeling pain. And I think, again, that's a sort of being intuitive about your health, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Whatever is going on with you, whether it's an injury or if it's a um, medical condition that you uh, live with, um, choosing to do things that support you when the time is right yeah. is, is overall good for your well-being and, and those feelings of well-being. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, so I think, again, you know, interesting, encouraging that if you have got osteoarthritis, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that um, you have to stop running. Yeah, exactly, Aileen. I think that these two studies are really interesting and they indicate that it is possible to run with osteoarthritis and not be fearful that running will not increase the progression of the condition. So I still think, like you said, way back at the beginning, it's important to speak to um, uh, a specialist in the musculoskeletal system, but it's still possible to to keep running with osteoarthritis. Just be mindful of how much running you do and not running if you are in pain. But um, but yeah, just always remember to um, to to seek professional advice with your individual situation um, because our discussion is really for for a guidance only. So on that point, Aileen, I was just thinking, shall we take an advert break before we move on? Yeah, sure, Karen. Um, So this is the moment in the episode where Karen and I take a minute just to um, tell you a little bit about what we do outside of the podcast. So Karen and I, just like you, we're busy working women and we run for health, fitness, achievements and a bit of fun. Um, And we found over the years that, you know, we've had our own personal running performance struggles, um, but we've resolved those struggles with a foundational everyday healthy eating plan. And we fine tune that with sports nutritional principles. And that helps maximise our running performance and minimise injury, which is obviously one of the topics for today. And uh, from all of that, we turned our food plans into our Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners program. So it's a short and sweet video program, which you complete in 30 minutes a day over two weeks. Or you can take as long as you you like to, or you can go back and refresh parts of it if you you want to later on. And so if you've been listening today and you've been thinking you'd like to know about a little bit more about how to apply both everyday nutrition alongside sports specific nutrition, we think this program is a great place to give you information and easy action steps too. So you can find all the details at our website, which is runnershealthhub.com. Uh, look at the top menu bar. Uh, you'll find work with us. And if you click on that, you'll see all of the different things that we, we offer. And Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners is one of them. So click on there and uh, you'll find out all about the program. If you are interested in joining the program, Uh, To say thank you uh, to you as one of our valued listeners, we have a special offer for you. Uh, You can use a coupon code to get 33% discount off the full price, which brings the price down to £199. And you'll find the details in our show notes too. So we'd love to see you along there. Uh, As part of the programme, you also get access to our weekly coaching circle um, when you can ask any questions about nutrition or running. We love to help people there. 
Excellent. Thank you very much, Aileen. So now is the part of the episode where we'll have a chat about food plan tips and also exercise considerations to help you really with um, supporting your joint health. So let's start with the food plan. And what we're going to do is highlight three areas on your food plan. We'll speak briefly about the Mediterranean diet, healthy fats, and also the gut microbiota, so the the gut bacteria. Now, thinking about the Mediterranean food plan, there was a a review paper, a systematic review paper um, titled Osteoarthritis and the Mediterranean Diet. Now, what it was saying is that the Mediterranean diet has a protective effect in osteoarthritis, mainly because of its anti-inflammatory properties. Because like you were saying right at the beginning, Aileen, all the risk factors that you mentioned, the thing that they had in common was the systemic, chronic and systemic inflammation. So so the Mediterranean diet really is um, based on um, anti-inflammatory and the anti-inflammatory properties of the foods in it. But also the reversion of the metabolic syndrome, so um, and, and obesity, and also the antioxidant capacity of the different foods eaten within the the Mediterranean diet. Now, it is a diet that's rich in polyphenols, which prevent inflammation and cartilage destruction, um, resulting really in a prevention of the osteoarthritis-related musculoskeletal inflammation, like I just mentioned. And also, um, the the Mediterranean diet produces a lower omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acid ratio. And that seems to be quite a big issue in the Western diet is that the amount of omega-6 eaten is much higher than the omega-3 and it should be in a better ratio. So how could you possibly adapt your food plan to a more Mediterranean style? Well, some things that you could consider are really focusing on eating vegetables, fruits, the legumes, so that's your your pulses, your um, lentils and your beans. Also adding in a moderate amount of eggs, oily fish, white fish as well, and seafood, and small amounts of dairy, poultry, and red meat. Um, Now, the healthy fats that are incorporated within a Mediterranean diet come from the the oily fish, the nuts and the seeds, and lots of olive oil. Olive oil is a big part of the Mediterranean diet and does seem to have a lot of health benefits. Now, the Mediterranean people, as we all know, do enjoy um, their, their wine, but it's in small amounts. So small amounts of alcohol. Generally, it is red wine and the Mediterranean diet can be really supportive. Um, and I do think it's an easy and healthy way to eat. There's no processed foods, but there's lots of colours of the rainbow. It's a really colourful plate to be um, to be consuming from, therefore tempting and appetising. Aileen, that's sort of a, a bit of an overview of the, the, uh, the Mediterranean diet. Can you give an overview maybe and some tips on healthy fats for us? Yeah, of course, Karen. So as you mentioned earlier, it's really important to have a healthy ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 fatty acids. Um, In simple terms, omega-3 have anti-inflammatory roles and omega-6 are the precursor to pro-inflammatory molecules. 
Um, and it's also healthy to consume a lower amount of saturated fats so that tend to come from animal proteins, as these two can be pro-inflammatory. Um, so there was a, an interesting um, study, a, a large prospective study in osteoarthritis patients that found that higher intakes of total and saturated fat was associated with increased knee joint space with loss. And um, whereas comparing that against people who had higher intakes of mono unsaturated fats, so things like the olive oils, nuts, seeds, avocado, and the things like omega-3 and omega-6, that was reduced with, that was associated with reduced um, radiographic progression. So, um, the damage wasn't pro as progressive in those people. Um, so it's been demonstrated that a high consumption of the omega-6 fatty acids results in an elevated risk of subchondral bone deterioration and that a high-fat diet increases leptin levels in local cartilage and that also contributes to accelerated progression of osteoarthritis. So I found this really interesting because I hadn't really thought about how that would affect my joints. <laughs> so it's an interesting one to consider. Um, so what can you do? Um, well, obviously, if um, if you're not a vegetarian or vegan, you can eat oily fish. And, and we'd suggest aiming for two to three portions of oily fish a week. Um, if you don't eat fish, um, you might want to consider supplementing with a vegan source of omega-3. Um, and also consider just how much omega-6 you have in your food plan. Um, so often omega-6 is um, predominantly found in things like seed and vegetable oils and um, they've got a very high content in those types of foods and they're often found in processed foods as well. So that's why in the Western diet, um, people are, are often consuming a high amount of omega-6 without necessarily realising it. Um, and as we mentioned earlier, you know, that could be pro-inflammatory. So it is really advisable to minimise processed foods and vegetables and be aware that these things can be in healthy foods as well I had a client a few years ago who on the face of it was eating a really healthy diet and we did the um, there's a, an omega index test you can do so it's a blood test and it will show you the your ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 she was very high in omega-6 which was a surprise but when we started really looking into what she was eating she was eating lots of things like hummus but it was made with vegetable oils um, and that was one of the reasons that she was you know just eating too much of those types of foods so it's always good to read the labels mm -hmm. um, so another thing that people could do was think thinking about having a small portion of healthy fats so we always recommend eating a small amount of healthy fats every day so simple things could be um, you know having a tablespoon of olive oil on your vegetables or salads maybe adding a small amount of avocado or a tablespoon of mixed seeds is another way. So just remember to check in with your food plate and check that you've got a small amount of healthy fats as part of your everyday food plan. Mm. Um, so that's a very brief overview on fats, Karen. Um, mm. we, all, we also mentioned that gut microbiota was important and has an important role to play. Um, so could you... Maybe give us an overview of why that's important. 
Yeah, sure, Aileen. And, you know, we speak about uh, the gut microbiota and, and, and the gut microbiome. Now, our gut microbiome is made up of an abundance and a diverse range of bacteria, which are involved in many different physiological processes. Um, and there may be times when there is an adverse alteration of our gut microbiota. And I'm thinking here of maybe times after taking antibiotics or other medications following illness or infection. Um, it could also be um, impacted by a poor diet or stress. So this can lead to an imbalance of the gut microbiota, or that gut bacteria. And this is called dysbiosis. Now, in the state of dysbiosis, the positive aspects of a healthy microbiome overall may be inhibited and it could lead to adverse effects. Now, one of these is um, metabolic syndrome, which is associated with low-grade inflammation, which, as we know and have already spoken about, is a contributor to musculoskeletal diseases. Now, there are also other areas um, being studied, mostly animal studies at the moment, but looking at the interactions between various strains of the gut bacteria and modulation of inflammation, the impact on estrogen, which we know can be related to changes in bone mineral density, um, but also how gut barrier integrity may be all enabling what's known as endotoxemia um, to, to be a contributor to inflammation. So that endotoxemia being um, the ability of certain toxins to get into the, the blood system due to a poor gut barrier. Now, I think this is a really great and interesting area of research and I think maybe an area to monitor uh, to really find out how it may help us manage our health joints. So Aileen and I will be keeping an eye on that and when we get some updates on new data coming through then we'll feed it through to, to, to you as well. So Aileen, Thinking about what I've said, what tips can you share to help look after our gut microbiome with, with a food plan? Yeah, yeah, I think um, what you said there, Karen, is, is, is great. And I think it is, um, like you say, there are new developments all the time, particularly with what strains of bacteria can really help us manage healthy joints. So definitely we'll keep an eye out. But thinking about some basic things now that everybody could do to help look after their gut microbiome. Uh, with a food plan well the number one thing is eat a high fiber diet um, include lots of vegetables fruits and whole grains um, and the reason for that is fiber is required by the digestive system to make something called short chain fatty acids and they have a wide ranging impact on regulating things like metabolism inflammation and disease uh, and they're also involved in the gut brain axis which might um, contribute to pain modulation as well um, so within that eating a high fiber diet, we're recommending eating lots of different types of vegetables. So eating up to 30 different vegetables every week will really help promote the abundance and diversity of gut bacteria in the microbiome. And that might seem a lot of vegetables to you, but, you know, it's quite easy to get there if you make a soup or a salad or a stir fry or maybe a side dish of vegetables and put four or five vegetables in each. Um, you'll soon get to 30 in the week. Um, so that's a really 
good tip uh, to take on board. And then also you've got to think about how the uh, bacteria grow and proliferate within uh, the microbiome. And to do that, you've got to feed them. So you feed them, um, they like things like prebiotic foods. Um, so the prebiotic foods are, are vegetables mostly. Um, so particular ones that you might want to include in your 30 different vegetables a week are things like asparagus, chicory root, um, cold cooked potatoes, fennel, Jerusalem artichokes, leeks, onions, bok choy, garlic, and then on the fruit side, apples and bananas are good. And also um, things like pulses, um, chickpea, dal, green lentils are all, all really good. Um, so small amounts of those um, in your food plant would be really helpful too. So, yeah, simple stuff, but just think about feeding the gut microbiome and that'll keep you healthy. Mm, Oh, good. Okay, so um, we've talked about the food very quickly there, Karen. Um, but just to round up, I think it might be a good idea just to finish off with a few tips on exercise and running now. So could I hand over to you for that? Yes, absolutely, Alien. And we talked earlier about getting an assessment from a physio or exercise specialist to identify the root cause of painful joints. And I, I do reiterate that. I think it's really important. But there are a few things that people might want to consider addressing themselves. So maybe just starting to think about, are you overstriding? Because your stride clearly is personal to you, but it is recommended it should be between 160 to 190 steps per minute. So maybe just thinking about that and counting as you as you are um, running. Or do you have a glute or hip weakness? Now, this may be the underlying reason for your hip pain. Um, and a, a coach told me that if you wobble when doing a single leg squat, that's an indication of either glute or hip weaknesses. Now, I have to say that I am. Um I, I historically have um, weak glutes and I would attest to that personally as well is that I do wobble when I'm doing a doing a single leg um, squat. Our exercise specialist or running coach will be able to identify the different weaknesses and help you with your running form and remedial exercises to build up that strength. Other in an old shoe for a long time could potentially be a risk factor for injury so again sort of building up slowly with your new shoes and not going out and doing a, a long endurance run the first time out and also mix up your training um and your terrain so think about changing this uh, you know when you're thinking about your training it could be that the change in surface um might be a risk factor but it also if you're continually keeping it varied then um, that might be supportive 
And um, so thinking about the surface, your route, your tempo and um, cross training as well. And the more variable your movements, the less you stress your tissues and you'll be helping your joints to adapt to different loads and different experiences. So, um, you know, we have spoken in the past about the surfaces being a risk factor for injury. But if you if you again, you're building up slowly, you're keeping the terrain varied and your exercise buried then that could be supportive to your joints so so again like in give you the tips with the different foods a few little tips here on what you could think about now and consider that may be triggering some of your symptoms if you've got any but do remember to to consult with a specialist so so just to round up, because I think we're coming to the end now, Aileen, we've given you hopefully some good food and exercise advice to to consider. Um, so just before we finish, Aileen, could you just give us um, your key takeaways from this episode? Yeah, sure, Karen. I'm just laughing at myself thinking, yeah, how many people don't go out running with their brand new shoes straight away? <laughs> There's no road going around the block. It's like, oh, they it's fantastic. I can run yes. miles in them. Yes. <laughs> okay, so over to the key takeaways. Um, so as, as we said at the beginning of the episode, there's many reasons for painful joints, including osteoarthritis, friction issues, damage to tendon or muscle imbalances. And we'd really recommend that you consult with an exercise specialist to identify the root cause of your pain and then you know that you're taking the, the correct action to uh, to make it better. So as we mentioned, osteoarthritis is a chronic progressive joint disease, which is influenced by many environmental factors, including diet, body composition and metabolic health conditions. Um, you might find that if you... Um, work under the direction of an exercise specialist or perhaps a running coach it may be possible to maintain a supportive running schedule which promotes the various aspects of musculoskeletal health and will help alleviate symptoms of pain and dysfunction and degeneration um, that we can't emphasize enough um, but it's a great idea to work with a, a, a specialist or a running coach um, a runner should also, should also uh, include injury prevention exercises that target those areas which are more susceptible to damage. And that's certainly something I'm doing with my my left knee. It's getting lots of exercises to try and get it back into, uh, into good shape. Um, we talked about uh, some food um, approaches and there is evidence that suggests following an, an anti-inflammatory uh, Mediterranean food plan, including a balance of omega-3 to omega-6 fatty acids, plus a wide range of vegetables and whole foods will help reduce the development of osteoarthritis, in particular, modifying those risks that we talked about earlier. Um, and just finally, Karen, I just wanted to say that there are so many other nutritional aspects uh, that we could have talked about today supporting musculoskeletal health, particularly relating to painful joints and osteoarthritis. Unfortunately, there's not time in, you know, just around an hour to cover them all. Um, 
but we will in future episodes because I know that um, there are a lot of specific nutrients and supplements that people might be wanting to have a little bit more information about. So we'll we'll cover those in future episodes. Right. Thanks, Aileen. So everybody watch the space for um, some future episodes on this really important topic, I think. So um, Aileen, I just want to say thank you for sharing so much information on managing painful joints and running. And to everybody, remember, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as Best Leggings for Running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases. <music>